0: here now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader mark
1: i want to assure you as i travel across this country that uh, the american people know, know that men and women of ice are american heroes But you're doing an important job. You're often doing a dangerous job, and you're doing it for them.
2: (laughs) We are so stuck on stupid. I'm like genuinely stuck on stupid in this country. Here we have to send in the vice president to ICE to say, "All right, guys, we know that you're the second most important aspect of national security in this country. We're not going to get rid of you. You guys do important stuff." So we're going to keep you the the protest. The people were for you. That's why we're stuck on stupid in this country. And by the way, I'm not one who uses language interchangeably or flippantly or, or anything else. So, for example, you know, some people will interchange stu- stupid and, and stupidity with ignorance. Well, that's a misnomer, right? Ignorance can be fixed with more information. For example, the average product of our public schools going to be most likely highly ignorant when it comes to things like the Constitution, American history. You know, only the, the stuff that matters so we understand how we got here and that we don't repeat mistakes, that kind of stuff. But that could be fixed with more information, right? You can learn. Probably not in the public schools about that stuff, but you can learn. Stupidity, a different ballgame. That's an aptitude issue, right? That's a, uh, we can't get past that in this case, it would be like uh, the wall that we probably should have on the southern border. That one. That's stuck on stupid. And we are stuck on stupid in this country to the extent that the vice president felt that doing that today and, and going and addressing ICE was necessary. Now, a couple things about this. One, is ICE really thinking that they're going to be uh, disbanded? No, probably not. But the bigger issue here is that you have a bunch of people that are so ignorant that they are bound by their stupidity, and their stupidity is their ideology. So, for example, you just kind of take this broadly. Based upon what economic measure you look at, the economy anywhere from the best it's been in 12 to 32 years. And in some cases, like with minority unemployment, we're talking about record lows. But broadly speaking, 12 to 32 years. By accident, you would have to have some positive stories out there now and then, right? Well, no. According to the Media Research Center, 91% of media accounts of Donald Trump and the administration still negative. 91% are negative. Just accidentally it would have to be better. So, eh, here we sit. And by the way, where I sit, and I always get a a kick out of uh, Levin's intro, because I'm like in the opposite of what he is. He's in his underground bunker. I'm seven feet above sea level in a building that literally had its roof ripped off during a hurricane one time when we were broadcasting. That really did happen. Uh, Brian Mudd filling in for the great one. Always an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Broadcasting live from my home station, uh, WJNO, in West Palm Beach. I do a morning show uh, here from 5 until 9. I do a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami from 10 until noon. And uh, then blessed on occasion to, uh, to be able to do the trifecta and be here with you. Uh, so uh, as always, uh, you are welcome to to find my content. A lot of folks have reached out and say, hey, you know, where do you have podcasts? Do you have? Con-? Yes. And it's all over the place. I am full of hot air and I do a lot of talking. If you search Brian Mudd like on iHeartRadio, uh, WJNO.com, WIOD.com, you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff that I put out there and uh, certainly do appreciate it now about immigration and and being stuck on stupid. So we have all the negative media accounts, and we also have the people that think that it somehow or another makes sense to go ahead and get rid of something as significant as ICE. But part of all this comes together due to the most pervasive form of bias. A lot of folks talk about media bias, but the most pervasive form isn't what you're presented with. It's omission. Because if you don't know, then you don't know. Back to the ignorance thing, like the kids that aren't learning about the Constitution. Aren't learning about American history. If you just don't know. Well you don't appreciate what screwed up in this country. And how off base so many politicians are today. So to kind of put a, a fine point on this. I was thinking about the irony. So we're, we're still debating a border wall. And most people don't even realize at this point. That this was not Donald Trump's idea. Not Donald Trump's idea. Not by a long shot actually. Now. Now. Any good manager, and for that matter, any happy employee, probably understands the concept of having the tools that are necessary to be successful with the job that you're tasked with doing. And so, hey, you know, that is something that generally smart people do. You go to the people in the field and you say, okay, what is it that you need to do uh, or need to have to, to do your job effectively? And they'll tell you. And so the idea of the southern border wall, not anything that was invented by Trump. It actually has been around for quite some time. And the proliferation of it was not Trump's idea either. I mean, yes, the big and beautiful part in having a wall uh, or having a door in the wall, that was a, a Trumpism. But the actual proliferation of it took place in 2006. And here's something that's more than just a little bit ironic. You want to talk about uh, conventional wisdom being anything but wise. Uh, what do Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton and chuck schumer have in common other than the fact that they're on the left other than the fact that they were all senators once upon a time oh get this they were actually part of the 80 vote majority that voted to expand the southern border wall in 2006 that's right it's only 12 years ago that we actually had the proliferation of the border wall now what ended up happening was in the waning years of the bush administration we had over 600 uh, miles of that constructed. A lot of it was fenced, not necessarily a wall. And there was a whole lot more that was going to be added on to it and then reinforced. And that's when the Obama administration came into play. And that's when those plans began to go awry. Now, that, somehow or another, is never picked up on within media. Amazing how that happens. Fascinating how the hypocrisy is not pointed out. But again, that's just part of the dynamic that's at play here. So we're talking about our Southwest border. Now, about a week ago, this was a story from CNBC headline, more than 100 politicians have been murdered in Mexico ahead of Sunday's election. And this is the one that happened last weekend. What more than a hundred politicians been murdered in Mexico. <laughs> what? Here's an excerpt from the story. It's kind of like, oh, by the way, more than 100 politicians in Mexico have been killed since September in the lead up to the country's election this Sunday. And more than 13,000 Mexicans have been killed since January. In an 11 year war on drugs, Mexico has failed to control organized crime and criminal infiltration of local governments and law enforcement. Some 20 or so percent of voters remain undecided and security is expected to be a major factor in how they choose to vote. Well, shut the front door. Now, think about this for a moment. What would be going on in this country if we had more than 100 politicians whacked leading up to the midterm election cycle? And can you even imagine? It would be the crisis among crises, right? More than 100 politicians murdered, more than 13,000 Mexicans. Can you imagine 13,000 Americans were murdered leading up to elections? Holy cow, right? It's kind of a big deal. Oh, by the way, I mean, credit, by the way, CNBC, for actually reporting this. And there's a really good chance you've not heard any of this until now, right? Again, most pervasive form of bias is omission. But here's the stuck on stupid part. And this is where, all right, I cannot get past my ideology. What's preventing the element that's responsible for whacking more than 100 politicians in Mexico? For whacking more than 13,000 Mexicans? Leading up to the election, what what is it that actually prevents them from being here and doing what they do? Oh, that's right. Not a whole lot. The crumbling wall where we have it, an understaffed border patrol. That's that doesn't seem like uh, doesn't seem like that smart, does it? See, that would be stuck on stupid. That is stuck on stupid. And if people had this kind of information, then maybe they might view things differently. But that's not even, you know, half of it. When you're talking about these people that are protesting, how many of them even know the difference between ICE and Border Patrol? By the way, they're all heroes in their own right for the kind of work they do, especially these days. Good Lord. It's kind of like uh, their version of the Vietnam vets being spit on. We're keeping your butt safe every day from the people that are whacking 100 politicians in Mexico and killing 13,000 people uh, leading up to an election. But, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for that, people. But here's the deal. ICE. I mean, not to put too much information into the the concept of what they actually are for the protesters, but ICE has more than 20,000 people, and they operate in 46 countries. Not the folks that just sit there and hang out at the border. Oh, by the way. I like to say that there are two sides to stories. One side to facts. We're actually just getting warmed up with a lot of those facts. And I've got a whole lot more of them ready for you in just a few minutes do you want to give you a heads up, and this is something that is super, super cool. It is, and I'm biased, but it's my favorite episode, Life, Liberty, and Levin. There's an encore presentation, uh, The Great Ones interview with Sean Hannity that aired last Sunday night. If you do not have your DVR set, and if you're not in position to watch at 9 o'clock tonight, go ahead and do it. 9 o'clock Eastern Time, the encore presentation, Life, Liberty, and Levin, uh, Mark's interview with Sean Hannity. Super, super great material. We're just getting started. I'm Brian Mudd, and for The Great One... Mudd Love The President sent here
1: today with a very simple message. While I stand before you today, at a time when some people are actually calling for the abolition of ICE. In this White House, let me be clear we are with you 100%. And as the President said last night, we will always stand proudly with
2: the brave heroes of ICE and our Border Patrol. All right, so. Yeah, the nice thing about that is the passion. Right. And, and the, we're with you. And yeah, <laughs> the, the sad thing that it was necessary. Again, Vice President Mike Pence addressing ICE today saying, hey, guys, we're really with you. We know that you got a bunch of wackadoos out there that uh, think you're Border Patrol and are protesting you anyway and, and don't really get it. And and uh, hey, we, we like you. Uh, so go get them, team. And again, uh, if you uh, missed, a, just recap a, a few of the facts we touched on there uh, at the uh, start of the show. ICE, if you're not familiar, it's not border patrol. Quite different, actually. ICE is consisting of more than 20,000 people across more than 46 countries. So if you disband it, well, just a few implications that have nothing whatsoever to do with the southwest border. Oh, by the way. And when we're talking about the southwest border, the border wall, not Donald Trump's idea. It's been around for quite some time, and you actually had none other than one Barack Obama Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer, among many other Democrats that voted for it when they were United States senators in 2006. Because once upon a time, in a land right here, not all that long ago, national security was not always a partisan issue. And I guarantee you, the other piece of information touched on, uh, if uh, over 100 politicians got whacked in the United States leading up to an election... That wouldn't necessarily be viewed through a partisan lens either. But that's what just happened in Mexico before their elections. But we don't want anything at the southern border. We don't want, you know, we just keep the, the, the borders nice and open. People want to get through, let them through, let them through. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, my gosh. Stuck on stupid. Now, just getting going with some of the facts here, which, by the way, when we're talking about like the, the separation issue, the first of the big lies on the separation issues, that's Donald Trump's policy. It's not. Frankly, it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. In fact, it has been the policy of the country since at least 1955 and has been implemented by every administration as necessary as recently as 2016 during Barack Obama's administration. Oh, by the way, the only thing that changed was actually the zero tolerance policy. And why? Well, in just a bit, I'll get to the why on that. Because it wasn't, though, as though Donald Trump got into office and immediately went to a zero-tolerance policy. So you have to think, huh, well, maybe something changed. And I'll demonstrate what changed. And what was changing early this year that led to the Justice Department on April 6th to say, zero-tolerance because we've got to do something because we still haven't acted on immigration policy. Now, the existing immigration laws, by and large, enacted in 1955. And for the folks on separation policy that go, oh, how can you separate the, these kids from their parents? Now, let me walk away from the immigration issue for a moment. Think about somebody uh, that is in the news in your area that recently ended up committing a crime. And they've got kids. So as soon as they commit the crime, and, and especially, let's say you had two parents, but you know, whatever. The the guardians, they're all in on the crime. So they get booked and and they go to to prison. The the first thing the law enforcement does, they go and say, all right, where are those kids? Come on, guys, we're going to put you in the cell with mom and dad. Right? I mean, that's what happens, right? We we always, when you have parents that go out there and commit crimes and they're now being processed in the system, what we do is we go and get the kids and we put them in there with the parents, right? That, that's crazy. You know, you is it? Or are you crazy? Because that's why we have the separation policy. Oh, by the way, these people came through illegally. They are being processed as criminals. Now, you could either have a bunch of criminals being held together as adults, or you put all the kids in there, too. Now, that is the premise behind our existing law. And look, there's a lot of room for immigration reform. It was the one thing that I was hoping maybe some happily decent policy would come out of this whole mess. Which, once again, we see the bipartisan failure, that is, anything on immigration. But the, the truth of the matter is, common sense, if applied, would actually lead you in the correct direction on this one. And I don't know why it is so controversial to understand that we don't typically put kids with criminals. And oh, by the way, many of the adults that have been detained have been doing what with the kids? Well, using them as an excuse to try to gain access to this country and try to abuse the asylum process. See, once again, there are two sides to stories. Always just one side of facts. You yeah, know, the, the truth will set you three, free kind of thing. And man, I'm still just getting warmed up with a lot of these facts. And by the way, if you want to weigh in, you may. 877-381-3811. Ah, a lot more around the corner here, including... How many facilities Barack Obama was using? It's all coming up next. Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Ever notice how you come across
0: somebody once in a while that you shouldn't have messed with? That's Mark.
1: And you can call him at 877-381-3811. The president's already signed into law the largest investment in border security in nearly a decade, and we've started to build the first... 100 miles of the new border wall. We'll continue to call on the Congress. Call on the Congress to come together around immigration reforms that secure our border, build a wall, close the loopholes that too often serve as a, a magnet for vulnerable families or worse to come in across our
2: border. Mike Pence addressing... Ice earlier today. And again, it, it wouldn't actually be anything other than what Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer, among many other Democrats in the Senate voted for as part of the 80-vote majority that passed funding for the border wall in 2006. Ah, yeah, before this turned into a total partisan issue. Now, you think about how dangerous this game they're playing actually is. Again, uh, leading up to the Mexican elections, over 100 politicians were whacked down there, over 13,000 people killed. Now, why is it, do you think, that the media didn't really run with that in this country, that that it wasn't plastered everywhere? I mean, you probably heard the outcome in in a lot of mainstream outlets uh, about the Mexican election. So why isn't that they felt, hey, you know, it's not not news that we had over 100 politicians that were killed before that election. We had over 13,000 citizens that were killed. Could it have anything to do with the media's desire to generally perpetuate the leftist view on the border, you think? Most pervasive form of, of bias in the media, which is omission. A little food for thought there. Now, I'm still just getting going on facts because we've barely scratched the surface of a lot of the facts of how we got here. Uh, part of the reason that I wanted to uh, to lead off the show with this topic today wasn't just because Mike Pence was going to ICE and saying, hey guys, we're not going to disband you because of the malcontents. It actually uh, also had to do With a stat that was out today. Now, as an intelligent thinking person, uh, no doubt you know that games can be played with numbers. And you might have heard that, hey, overall, apprehensions at the southern border were down 18% in June. We just got this information over the past day. And you go, 18% down? Well, that's kind of cool. Well, it is kind of cool. Well, let me ask you. 18% less of a crisis is what? And I'll explain. So here is another important part of the story. One of the things that I do as an analyst and as someone who perpetuates the notion that there are two sides to stories and one side of facts is I always go straight to the facts. And I want to pull all the together, the, the information for myself. And look, there are times that I'm surprised at where I end up. In fact, I get surprised somewhat frequently. And, and for that reason. From a partisan standpoint, I don't necessarily always fit in a box, because I will uh, be truthful, uh, and I will go where they take me, all those facts. And here, here's the information about the activity at the southern border this year. If we take a look in January at total illegal activity at the southern border, it was down 16% year over year. There well, you go. Oh, that's pretty good. 16% decline year over year. Okay, cool. Well, uh, then February hit. What happened? 56% increase year over year. What? Wow, that's a big turnaround from from January. And then we got to March. Total illegal activity at the southern border was up 203% year over year. Now, you might recall that the word had been out that, hey, if you simply are getting yourself across the border and you're declaring asylum, you're going to end up getting status. It's going to work out for you. And we even had some American interest groups that were in Central America that were out there advising some of these individuals. And we saw the proliferation of it take place. It wasn't just about the Honduran caravan people. So here's the deal. decrease January, 56% increase in February, 203% year-over-year increase in illegal activity in March. April, 270% increase year-over-year. Holy cow, right? So what happened? The Justice Department, and this was the only change in policy, they went to the zero-tolerance policy. Now, that is what the media, by and large, positioned as being... The separation policy, that it was the Trump doctrine to take these kids away, to rip them away, which is a bunch of bullcrap, bunch of bullcrap. Again, it's the law of the United States of America, nothing to do with Donald Trump. What the administration simply decided is we got a crisis down here, so we had better do something to act as a disincentive. So what they said is we're just going to process everybody who comes across Illegally, if you're not coming across and declaring asylum through the proper channels, if you're not coming through legally at the the proper points, then we're going to process you. And that was the zero tolerance policy. Now, I went back and actually studied what happened as recently as 2016. In 2016, Barack Obama's administration operated over 100 facilities like these facilities that are being used now. The exact same ones in most cases. Over 100 facilities. And you might recall that many of the pictures and a lot of the video very early on when this was being blown up last month actually turned out to be vintage Obama era footage from these facilities. The difference was back then it was, hey, there's this problem. But look, they're really being cared for. Well, here. That's apparently when Health and Human Services, in conjunction with DHS, didn't abuse kids. Apparently, uh, you know, if you're going to follow the logic of the left, uh, as soon as the Trump administration took over, those same DHS workers and those same Health and Human Services workers, they turned into abusers of kids. That magically happened. Because that would have to be what is ultimately taking place. When you hear about the alleged abuse and the impropriety and what are they hiding? What are they really saying at these facilities? Aren't they really saying that, well, shoot, the people that work at these facilities are abusing people? Not that Donald Trump is ordering the abuse of people, but that they would actually have to be abusing people, right? They would have to be doing something wrong. Which, by the way, there's still no credible evidence at any of these facilities that this took place. In fact, to any of these facilities that people have gained access to, you know, people are being Treated as they should be. Kids being cared for. Because, again, we don't have, you know, abusers magically in Health and Human Services. And you go, Health and Human Services, how is that enter the equation? Here's the deal. DHS processes the adults. You have Health and Human Services that operates the separation uh, setups for the kids. So any of the minors go to Health and Human Services, not law enforcement. So that's who's looking after them. So unless there's a rampant child abuse in health and human services, everything you've heard that way is a bunch of bullcrap. But continuing with the facts. So mentioned that 270% increase in April. May, after that policy was set up, the zero tolerance policy that went into effect April 6th, there was a 160% increase. Well, that's still a big deal, right? That's still a pretty darn big deal. But... It did curb the growth because, again, we went from January 16% year-over-year decrease to February 56% increase year-over-year. March 203% increase. April 270. May 160%. And June, here's the deal. With the information we just got in, yes, activity was down 18%, but it's only down 18% month over month, not year-over-year. When you take a look year-over-year, we still had an increase of 97%. So we still have a huge problem at the southern border. But yes, since the zero tolerance policy went into effect, the activity has been curbed. And here's the rest of the irony behind what's been going on with the media. I trace the absolute peak of activity at the southern border. You know what it was? The second week of May. When was it that the media decided to blow up the story? It was the beginning of June. Interesting how that worked, right? Once again took the media about a month to get around to what was actually going on that was out there if they were just simply doing their job and reporting it. You know, kind of like the the politicians, the 100 politicians whacked in Mexico, right? I mean, just, they never got around to it. I mean, uh, who had time to, to tell you about that? The 13,000 Mexicans that were killed leading up to the elections. Eh, it, 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 not really important. What What is important is that we don't have much security at the southwest border. That's the important thing here, right? So those folks can just freely... come into our country and and, and, and if some of the folks that whack politicians and Mexicans get in i mean come on bad things happen every now and then right and it happens Uh, all right Uh, let's go to john in sioux falls south dakota go hello hello there hey john how you doing all good how you doing
3: i'm doing great i just want to tell you i really appreciate the way you're giving your information today is it's Fantastic. And uh, anyway, I just had a comment. I'm. Uh, I, I can't understand why the people that are, you know, are are, are putting down the ice, uh, and, you know, enforcement and things like that, don't realize what a significant thing they're doing. Because you know, with all these people coming in and all the open borders, you know, the, the these these people are having to probably do forty or fifty times the normal type of work they'd have to do. They're just overwhelmed. Well, and
2: uh, and this is just it, John, uh, and this is where it gets serious. So we talk about making sure that we have the equipment that is necessary for our soldiers, for example. It's not a partisan thing at this point, I think, and thankfully, that if we put our soldiers into battle – We provide the equipment that is necessary for them to be able to carry out their missions. Although we did have sequester sequestration and we did have cutbacks to the point to where it was dangerous. But we have the funding that is back in there and the, the military is getting what it needs once again. Okay, so that got through, but we're still not seeing the reforms that are necessary. The funding for the border wall to the extent that is necessary. That, again, was asked for originally by the Border Patrol and the Department of Homeland Security, not by Donald Trump. So that did become a partisan issue. And what you're talking about is what's important here. ICE, number one, is not Border Patrol. And for the Border Patrol, it has an extremely dangerous job. Them not having what they've asked for, the, the barriers that are necessary for them to successfully complete the job, it's not only like dangerous for our country, it's dangerous for them. And that has turned into, obviously, a partisan issue. So that's where you have to begin to ask yourself, what is more important to many of the partisans what is more important to the left do they care more about their political party than they do these border patrol agents that put their lives on the line do they care more about their political party than they do keeping this country safe
3: no i agree and i and i just want to interject this because it's important to me if the 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 people would stop uh, to take a look at the resources that are being drained by these you know, the illegal immigration where we're feeding, clothing, housing. I mean, those kind of resources could be spent building a wall or, 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 help are in places where they would be, you know, better used. And, uh, the last thing I want to say is thing that really, really drives me crazy is somebody's got to stop the insanity because this country's being so divided right now by these type of things. And, uh, it's, it's, it makes us look. You know, think of the other countries out there. Going, boy, I tell you what, those guys over in the U.S. man, they can't get along. It doesn't like the United States to me. You know, I mean, my God, this is not rocket science. It's black and white. Open your ears and eyes, and and, and listen to shows like this so you can learn what's real.
2: Uh, amen. (laughs) Listening to Levin is something that uh, everybody in the the mainstream media should have to do from time to time uh, to open their eyes. Because, you know, I give people a chance. For example, you you do have a lot of folks on the left that are well-intentioned. And you give them an opportunity to be presented with information. And if they choose to ignore it, then you know you've got a bigger problem. So I like giving everybody a chance. The one thing that uh, we are inclined to do, though... The more informed you are, what do you tend to do? Well, you you tend to go find the people in your life that you're familiar with that are the most political, that tend to be often the hardest core folks on the left that you know, and then what do you do? You end up getting into a monkey feces fight, and then everybody gets frustrated. So the important thing, informationally, is to use facts, to use logic, to present them with information, and give them a chance. The folks that are open-minded, you you can't help folks that are closed-minded. And you talked about the resources that are being used. We know that we're $20 trillion plus in debt. I mean, we're over $21 trillion in debt now. So the truth is, any money we spending is really just debt that we're spending that eventually we have to pay for and, ha- and account for, right? Here's something else that is worth mentioning in this context that also hasn't been brought up aside from the resources that we are using right now to take care of these hundred plus facilities across the country because we have all this crush of legal immigration that we are processing in dealing with and a congress that hasn't gotten the rack together to end up changing laws to allow us to more effectively deal with this you know how much we're spending on that two billion dollars two billion dollars now to the Central American countries, you know how much we're giving to these governments and foreign aid? $2.6 billion. Now, why are we giving them 2600000000 billion? We're giving them $2.6 billion to help with their citizens. Citizens that are coming here and then illegally, we're using $2 billion to account for. Now, you imagine $4.6 billion, what that could mean in these communities, for example, where these 100-plus shelters are currently set up. We have... 18 plus million Americans that are in deep poverty and we're spending billions of dollars creating more of it with illegals that are being granted status that American citizens aren't. Where are the priorities yeah, politics are for priorities? Anyway, uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark in.
1: People have every right to engage in peaceful protest. But these threats against ICE officers and their families must stop, and they must stop now.
2: That is Mike Pence, vice president, again out today to go tell ICE, hey guys, we're going to keep you. We like you. We're we're with you. We know the protests and the abolish ICE folks, but... You know, we don't think that's necessarily a great idea. And, and yeah, probably not a not a great idea to, to disband the second most important uh, component of national security. You know, 20,000-plus people that work across 46 countries. I mean, just, you know, information that might be helpful to some of the protesters. I'm pretty sure have them confused with Border Patrol. Hey, uh, it's Brian Mudd filling in for Mark Levin and want to uh, give you a heads-up. 9 o'clock Eastern tonight. An encore presentation of Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News channel. Mark's interview from last Sunday night with Sean Hannity, which was amazing. So if you missed it, even if you didn't, it's worth another watch. It was really great stuff uh, seeing the two of them go together. And you could just tell that Hannity had been waiting forever to be the person being interviewed. And uh, it was a really great exchange. Um, All right, let's go to Homer in L.A. Homer, go.
4: Hey, you got a liberal on the line, so let's have a nice civil conversation. What do you think, my friend?
2: Oh, it sounds like a plan, and let's do it.
4: All right. So, open borders. Please be 100% descriptive and accurate when you mean the Democrats want open borders. What does
2: that mean specifically? Now, I didn't specifically say the Democrats want open borders, but you do have protesters that are calling for open borders. So, you. Okay. My, as so, I understand it, as I understand it, you think it's a fantasy, right?
4: I think that a hundred percent. Why was Obama nicknamed the deporter in chief by the Latino community if they're open borders? It, it's just.
2: Why it's did Barack just, Obama vote for the border wall, though, along with Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer? Good for thought. We'll continue, Brian Mudd, and for the great one.
0: here now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader mark levin
5: last year i was proud to appoint justice kennedy's former law clerk neil gorsuch to the supreme court Over the last year, Justice Gorsuch has embodied the most sacred principles of the court, making impartial
2: decisions based upon the Constitution. All right, so now if we could only clone the guy. It's the one thing about the never-Trumpers. I mean, come on. Seriously? If nothing else, if nothing else, the Supreme Court. Because now not just one, but two. (laughs) Last hour, we were talking about how some folks on the left, by virtue of all the facts without a doubt, are putting partisanship above safety and above the folks that are even tasked with securing the southern border. It simply is a political calculation. And it's a political calculation that, again, was not being made in 2006. That wasn't that long ago. It was 12 years ago. 12 years ago, you had Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer as senators voting for the border wall. No joke. That's how far we've come in 12 years. You know, it's interesting. My, my dad, uh, he grew up as a Democrat in New York, and uh, he, the, the last Democrat he voted for was Kennedy. And he was the classic, the party left main. If you take a look at policy, the, the left still loves to talk about Kennedy. Well, JFK is arguably on policy more conservative than your average Republican in federal politics today. I mean, seriously, we'll talk about taxes and uh, a little bit about tax policy in uh, just a little bit. Because we've got six months worth of information now on the tax cuts and what they've meant to this country. Oh, by the way, pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Once again, not likely to get much of the information in the media because the most pervasive form of bias is, yes, omission. Hey, it is uh, Brian Mutt broadcast in from West Palm Beach, uh, my home station, WJNO in West Palm. I do a morning show uh, from 5 to 9 here, and then I do a mid-morning show from 10 until noon at WIOD in Miami, and I am blessed to be able to uh, fill in once again for the great one uh, right here with you this evening. And uh, where I broadcast from is the antithesis of Mark Levin's bunker. I'm about seven feet above sea level and in a reinforced building uh, that once was torn apart by a hurricane. Hurricane Wilma back in 2005 literally ripped the roof off this place. (laughs) Pretty wild. So, look, a couple things here. Uh, We're going to get into the real story of Anthony Kennedy in the myth of swing justices on the Supreme Court. But also the importance of making sure that informationally We understand not only where we are But what's at stake here Because one of the mistakes about embracing a media narrative Is that you convince yourself Based upon the information you're taking in That it must be true So for example you probably think That Anthony Kennedy really was Somebody who could go either way a lot of the time And truth of the matter is uh, the, the, the facts of the matter just just simply don't back that up So as we're taking a look at where we go from here in the Supreme Court, and as we're taking a look at all the implications on big policy, big policy of the day, because how much anymore is ultimately decided by the Supreme Court? This pick has to be right, just as Neil Gorsuch had to be right. So in in many respects, the media still doesn't have the influence over society the way that it once did. I've used this example ever since 2016 because it's the most obvious and it's the easiest. If the media had the influence that it once did or that we automatically assume that it does. Well, what would be today? Donald Trump is president of the United States. And in 2016, you had more elected Republicans top to bottom the United States than at any other point. Since 1928. 1928. Okay. So certainly a lot has changed. A lot's changed from the Democrats of of Kennedy to the Democrats of today that seemingly are putting political calculations about national security in play because, hey, this can be a political issue we can win on. I mean, you've seen that demographically, you know, it's all about Hispanics in the future. That is the obvious calculation here as to why the policy has changed so much among Democrats on immigration. But when it comes to the Supreme Court, it's dangerous in many respects to look at it through the same partisan circle as politics. I'm going to give you the closest comp. Politically. Of a national figure to Anthony Kennedy. I always like digging informationally, not only to get the facts, but also to provide you with perspective. If you are actually trying to find a politician in the federal government that has a voting record legislatively that most resembles Anthony Kennedy, you ready? Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio. That's who Anthony Kennedy represents. In fact, I'm going to get all the way into the weeds here with you, but I've actually got Anthony Kennedy's record as being 3% more conservative than Marco Rubio's. Rubio's just the closest. So yes, Anthony Kennedy, by virtue of his record, more conservative than Marco Rubio. So, let's talk about this a little bit. Media has portrayed Anthony Kennedy as being the swing vote, being this moderate. Now, the first bit of information that I ended up pulling actually came from uh, some research uh, that the New York Times did a few years back, credit where credit's due. This was interesting stuff. This is the percentage of the time on all issues, all issues, that Anthony Kennedy voted with other justices. With Roberts, 88% of the time. So Anthony Kennedy, since Justice Roberts has been in place, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he has voted with him more often than anybody else. Then Alito, at 86% of the time. Thomas, 84% of the time. Scalia, when he was still with us, 82% of the time. Then Breyer, 81% of the time. Sotomayor, 80% of the time. Kagan, 80%. And Ginsburg, 76 And about now you're going, what? Hold on, they all vote with each other quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, they do. So the, here's the first thing that you got to be careful about when we're talking about the Supreme Court and viewing them through the same lens that we do typical partisanship. This is about the facts mattering and, and about going where the facts take you. So here's the truth of the United States Supreme Court. They average taking about 130 cases per year. Most of those are not cases that you have the first clue about, right? I mean, how many Supreme Court cases can you generally think about that, that even – You know, came across – you could be a a close observer, not only of the news, but you could be a highly informed person and not know really that much about more than a handful of them in a given year, right? 130 cases are taken by the United States Supreme Court. You just almost never hear about them. And most of the cases that are decided are not big partisan-styled issues. That's why you see the justices overwhelmingly voting with one another. There actually are a lot of unanimous decisions, just not necessarily on many of the biggest issues. So walking a bit further, let's take a look at those. Pulled information from Washington University's School of Law's Supreme Court database. So they keep this really cool database with more information than I think anything else that exists on the Supreme Court outside of the Supreme Court itself. And pulled information on just split decisions in which five justices decided the outcome, okay? So these are your five vote decisions. You're often five to four, although a handful of them, you have fewer justices because maybe somebody recused themselves somewhere along the way. But these are your split decisions with five justices determining the outcome. You ready? On those decisions, based upon what would be considered conservative or liberal issues, Samuel Alito, most conservative, 84% of the time on those 5-4 decisions, he's come down with the conservatives. Then Roberts, probably a surprise to some, 82%. Because we still think of health care reform and what happened with the not so Affordable care act and how Roberts ended up becoming treacherous, ended up rewriting that law, making it a tax, after declaring it wholly unconstitutional. But yes... On balance, on conservative versus liberal-styled issues with split decisions, Justice Roberts has been the second most conservative, 82%. Adding in Scalia again, as much of an icon as we're talking about Scalia, 81% conservative. Then Thomas at 80%. And next up, yeah, it's Justice Kennedy. Anthony Kennedy, 71% of the time, breaking with conservatives. Now, that means that the most conservative justice has only been 13% more conservative than Kennedy. In other words, has he been there all the time? Obviously not, but then again, nobody has. But he's been there a lot of the time. And what about after him? Again, these 5-4 split decisions, Breyer has broken with the conservatives just 21% of the time, Kagan 18%, and Ginsburg 15% 15% of the time. So you see the dramatic fall off. So you got the, these big takeaways. First, the most conservative justice Alito is virtually as conservative as the most liberal justice Ginsburg is liberal. And second, while Kennedy has been the, the least conservative of the perceived conservative block of judges, he's a heck of a lot more conservative than not. His voting record, only 9% less conservative than Clarence Thomas. And 50% more conservative than Stephen Breyer, the nearest liberal. So there's a lot to lose. A lot to lose here. That's why whoever the president nominates on Monday, he's got to get right. Because Kennedy, by and large, was not a moderate. He was, by and large, not a swing vote. Just on a handful of high-profile cases over the years. And if the president doesn't get this one right, it won't take much to see the court ideologically begin to go the other way. Because again, he's got to find someone, if you're, gonna, if you're really talking about taking the ideological bend of the court to the right, he's got to find somebody who is going to break with the conservative bloc more than 71% of the time. So in other words, there's a whole lot more downside if the president gets it wrong than upside if he gets it right from a conservative's perspective. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. Those are some of them. I got some more that might surprise you coming up next. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mudd in.
5: and policymaking from the bench. The faithful application of the Constitution is the bedrock of our freedom, the foundation of our society, and the linchpin of our government. The American system tasks Congress with writing the laws, the executive with enforcing the laws, and the judiciary with issuing neutral judgments based upon those laws and the Constitution we have sworn to protect.
2: There you go, a little bit of an education from the president in his weekly address that he put out earlier today. Uh, that probably was more than about 30 seconds than happens in many classrooms uh, anymore by the time uh, you have folks that graduate from high school. Uh, it is really something when you see the dearth of American history that is known uh, and kind of on the the view of, of, you know, what we what we perceive versus what we know versus what's real. Uh, this is something that I think is a little bit interesting. So, uh, by the way, it's Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin tonight. And uh, on one hand, the Supreme Court, it seems more polarized than it used to be, right? And one thing that I'm always cautious about, recency bias. It's just human bait nature that whatever's happened most recently is going to seem more relevant than something that happened once upon a time, right? And folks always like to say, oh, yeah, politics, worse than it's ever been. Well, crap. We literally fought a war against each other, people. I mean, come on. It's been a lot worse. And even in terms of the halls of Congress, once upon a time, they literally fought. I mean, like, literally fought in Congress. So even there, it's not as bad as it has been once upon a time. But it's a bad sure. Parsonship is up quite a bit over, say, where we were 30 years ago. Or then again, is it? Because, you know, I hear a lot of folks will say, oh, you know, the, the Supreme Court. It is, uh, it's so much more partisan than it used to be. It just, you know, everything, you got these high-profile cases and these rulings and, but think back 30 years ago for a moment. It's kind of like, you know, the the Reagan administration, that the great one worked for. (laughs) People like to to look back and go, oh, you know, Reagan was left. Well, yeah, he by and large was by the American people, but by the media and other politicians on the left, uh, heck no. And 30 years ago, think back, Bork was still an adjective. No, That's back in 87. So when it comes to the Supreme Court, is it really more partisan? Or is it just recency bias? And look at what they did to Clarence Thomas after that. He managed to get through on, like, Bork, but so perspective is key here. And enter this piece of information. I found this to be uh, pretty interesting. Yet Fox News come out with a recent poll, and what we ended up saying is that, well, despite the overall approval rating of the president being in the mid-40s, it was higher than a lot of things have been over the course of time. For example, the NFL. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next hour. But also, get this. You know the president's approval rating among likely voters has recently been higher than the United States Supreme Court was just three years ago. Here's something else that's very interesting over the past couple of years. Despite all the consternation over Neil Gorsuch, the all-time low, and we've had polling since the 1930s, the all-time low in terms of favorability rating on the Supreme Court, 48% in 2015, right after the ruling on the Affordable Care Act. Guess what? It's up to 66% most recently, with two-thirds of Americans now approving of the Supreme Court. And it tops the 64% of Americans who held the court favorably in 1985. Now, you think about that for a moment. We have a higher favorability rating of the United States Supreme Court today than we did in 1985. Two years before uh, Bork became an adjective, by the way. So perspective and information. It's key. Got some more surprises on the information side. And by the way, Life, Liberty, and Levin, Encore presentation with Hannity, the Fox News channel, tonight, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you missed it last Sunday, you'll want to check it out. It's great stuff. Brian Mudd, in for the great one.
0: Today, what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877 381 3811.
5: In choosing a new justice, I will select someone with impeccable credentials, great intellect, unbiased judgment, and deep reverence for the laws and Constitution of the United States.
2: No details. Details, details. All right, Uh, President Trump in his weekly address talking about uh, the characteristics of the nominee that will be unveiled on Monday. And uh, one thing in particular is we're hearing now there is a short list of three, perhaps four. The rumored short list of three does not include Mike Lee. There are some out there that believe that he still could be on it. So the three rumored to be Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, and Raymond Catholic. Now here's the first thing about these candidates. They're all well-known, all in sticking to the president's promise, part of the aforementioned list, which have been part of the American Collective for pretty much two years now. As Remember, President Trump put out his initial list of judicial nominees well in advance of the 2016 election. So uh, these are folks that, uh, you know, whoever the nominee is, if it should be one of these names that it's rumored to be, and anybody here that is uh, out there say, oh, you know, we, we've really got to learn more about these people. We've got to vet these people. We, you know, we, we need time. Well, they've had it. Uh, and you, you can be guaranteed that every single senator has had ample opportunity to get to the bottom of all of these people. Now, you have some interesting dichotomy in these folks. Uh, now, they're all younger. The president did indicate that he wanted somebody young. Uh, but some of what's different here is you have Certain justices that have longer histories than others, uh, including Brett Kavanaugh. Now, one thing that's been interesting, and the great one himself brought this to my attention yesterday. Chuck Schumer, he had been tweeting about Amy Coney Barrett and Raymond Kethlidge Kind of going off on Twitter, Twitter rants about the two of them. He did not say anything about Kavanaugh. Now, Kavanaugh was actually someone who was originally nominated... Uh, to a federal bench by George W. Bush. And he was held up for three years. It's back around 2003-ish, if memory serves. So he actually was somebody who's already been up for consideration that senators did end up hanging up. It was Democrats, ultimately, that held up that uh, confirmation. But it's interesting that Chuck Schumer has not decided to take to Brett Kavanaugh. Now, he's a... Smart guy, as much as he is a schemer, he's a smart guy. And he knows ultimately that the Democrats are not in a position to be able to stop the confirmation if the president ends up getting through a nominee that ends up satisfying potentially Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. But the one other thing you do have to be mindful of is what ends up happening in states like West Virginia with Joe Manchin and John Tester and. Montana, where the president was yesterday for his rally, states like Indiana, Joe Connolly, states like Missouri. Are you going to have these Democrats that are in heavy Trump states that will necessarily break party line with the Democrats right in advance of a November election, especially if it means holding up President Trump's nominee? So it still remains to be seen whether or not the Republicans need to keep everybody in line. However, it is interesting, again, that Chuck Schumer has gone after Coney Barrett and Kethledge, but not Kavanaugh. And for that reason, you might infer the one that is closest, ideologically, in the mind of Chuck Schumer, to the left. Little food for thought. Little food for thought. Now, I mentioned more surprising information. A little bit more. I was citing some polling information about the favorability of the Supreme Court. And just to kind of catch you up to speed again, real quick. Favorability rating of the United States Supreme Court has been on the rise for three years. It bottomed out at 48% favorability among the American collective back in 2015, right after the Affordable Care Act ruling. And it's up to 66% most recently. And for comparison, you go back to 1985, 64% of Americans approved of the United States Supreme Court. So for as partisan as it seems to be, for all the rhetoric and hysteria in the media and on the left, the average American feels better about the court than they have in over 33 years, oh, by the way. And it is bipartisan because you don't get to 66% by chance. Among Democrats... The Supreme Court's current favorability rating is 62%. And with Republicans, it's 71%. So, yeah, you have some of the high-profile cases that end up getting the attention of folks. And some of them often are used to, to drill in some partisanship and some hysteria and some angst for a short period of time. But by and large, just as we see that more often than not, this country probably is center-right. We see that a Supreme Court that is center-right suits the American people the most. Because remember, back when we really did have a more moderate Supreme Court than we've had in recent years, it wasn't as approved of. Remember Sandra Day O'Connor? She was like the hero of the media and of the left. Yeah, the court was more moderate back then. And what was the result? An American collective that didn't view the court as highly. Just a little more interesting information that you're probably not going to get anywhere else. And let's go to Liliana, who has uh, been waiting very patiently in California. We've been uh, talking about immigration outside of the Supreme Court festivities uh, on the show this evening. And uh, you wanted to weigh in with something that took place in uh, Sacramento. Uh, go.
4: Yes, in Sacramento, I'll make it brief and quick, that a organized protest showed up when the ice raid raided a house over there. And this organized protest was yelling to span ICE and all this other, all this other stuff. But it turns out the search warrant was valid, and also that it was targeting human sex traffickers of minors. And these are the same kids that they're wanting to be released back to individuals without having the DNA pushed through. Like uh, Nancy Pelosi does not, want, does not want to do DNA for these kids. She just wants to release them back to their, air quotes, parents. And this is what happens over here in
2: California spectacular so you had people that heard there was this raid going on the protesters came out and it turned out that it was human sex trafficking that was taking place of minors
4: of minors and the people who were arrested were illegal immigrants the children were illegal immigrants and they're helping illegal immigrants obtain housing i live up in mendocino county i can't even find a place to rent and they're wanting a thousand three hundred dollars for a trailer sitting
2: on the ground off the grid uh that uh that is uh, the american dream right there isn't it but it's good to know that you're paying for the uh the american dream of of so many that aren't going about it legally right i mean that that's got to make you feel good at night appreciate uh, the call again if you want to weigh in uh 877-381-3811 there is a an interesting point here uh one and i've talked to dhs multiple times Verifying statistics that I've been finding, making sure that I'm straight on policy when I've been coming forward with information. Everything that I have shared with you that I've referenced DHS on uh, this evening, I ended up uh, checking not only through the database, but also uh, with folks that are in uh, supervisory uh, positions within DHS. And something that is important to note in, in this entire process. Who really? Who really is suffering here? You you talk about the kids. Talking about the the separation. Well, there are hundreds of cases already. Hundreds of cases already of adults that have gone in to some of these families in parts of Central America, parts of Mexico in some cases, too. Not just uh, the Hondurans, Guatemalans, what have you. But they've gone into these families They've taken kids by force, they make like they're their parents, and they come across the border. They claim asylum. And what's been going on? Well, we don't even know what the family's back home. And we know that these kids have been abused. You know, There's been an institutionalized racism in our media for quite some time. Think about this for a moment. I'll give you an idea. It's fascinating how the the media plays this out. If I say, picture someone that you know was a victim as a child of potential sex trafficking, somebody who went missing, I bet you can come up with a face or a name. We can come up with victims like Natalie Holloway, right? And why is it? Well, because it fits a media narrative. Now, the last I checked, we've got about 18 kids every day in the United States, in the United States, that go missing, the overwhelming majority of which are later found and believed to be part of the sex trafficking trade. Now, why is it that you don't hear about these kids? Why is it that you can't see their faces the way that you can someone like Natalie Holloway? Well, because often they're minorities they don't inner city kids. They don't fit the profile. If you have someone who is blonde, blue eyes, fits the profile that the media likes to perpetuate to keep you hooked to the story, well, shoot, we'll make sure that remains a story for potentially years on end. However, if it's someone who might be minority, doesn't fit that profile, eh, you know, bad stuff happens. But those are with American kids that go missing. The omission by the media. Now, think about how these kids are being used conversely. Here you have non-American kids, similar profile, just not Americans, that end up, in many cases, being abused by the people that are coming over to the United States illegally. And then they're being used as being the victims. It's fascinating how time and again there are examples of those on the left, those in the media. That will put politics above people, especially Americans, if it fits their political agenda. There is an example after an example after an example. And we see it time and again when it comes to immigration. They cared so much about all of these minority kids. Maybe the media could take a bigger interest in the ones that are going missing in inner cities every day in this country. Maybe they could put their faces out there for you to see on the news night after night after night. Maybe you would know their names. But instead, they're inclined to fan the flames of, you know, Health and Human Services at that uh, child facility. What are they doing? What are they hiding in there? that's what they're more interested in. We'll continue. I'm Brian Mudd, in for The Great One. Mudd Lovin'.
5: we have to do it gently because we're in the Me Too generation so we have to be very gentle (laughs) and we will very gently take that kit and we will slowly toss it hoping it doesn't hit her and injure her arm even though it only weighs probably two ounces and we will say I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity paid for by Trump If you take the test, it shows you're an Indian.
2: Uh, The president last night in Montana having fun with uh, good old Elizabeth Warren and taking on the Me Too movement at the same time, which sent a lot of folks uh, on the left into uh, an otherworldly state again today. How dare you do that? And you also had a lot of folks talking about, Oh, you know, he's really energizing the the base, especially women. And here's the thing about the Me Too movement. It's uh, potentially a little bit overplayed. And this just said, not every woman, because they are a woman, you know what? I I identify with that. Uh, And that is one of the things that uh, so many folks are perhaps a little bit confused about. Kind of like Elizabeth Warren herself. What the president's actually doing there, saying that he would end up uh, paying for the ancestry DNA to have Elizabeth Warren uh, tested. And if there is any Native American there, any Indian there, well, shoot, he'll go ahead and donate a million dollars to a charity. That sounds like a pretty good challenge. Now, rather than this being something that sends the left into another worldly state, wouldn't that be a really nice way to get a charity, a million dollars? I'm sure there are a lot of charities right now. I'd love to get that million dollars. So if Elizabeth Warren is not a liar, if those high cheekbones, as she once put it, as an indication of proof of her Native American heritage, as she benefited personally and professionally by using Native American descent, if she really can back that up, I mean, come on and get a charity of your choice, a million dollars. For that matter, it could even be one of your pet charities on the left. Elizabeth, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Maybe moveon.org. You got moveon.org, a million dollars. Come on. Come on, you do that. All you got to do is take the test. Shouldn't be so hard. Uh, a couple headlines here over the past day. New York Times headline, Senators Collins and Murkowski, it's time to leave the GOP. Okay. All right. But Joe Manchin. And West Virginia, he should stay a Democrat, right? Because you know, West Virginia's values, they line up real well with, like, Bronx-style socialism. And, and so do those values in, in, say, North Dakota with Heidi Heitkamp. Indiana and Joe Donnelly, right? Montana, John Tester, the president was last night. Missouri, Claire McCaskill. Those values line up real well with where the Democratic Party is today. And then the Daily Beast. Headline, the Democrats are not in disarray. Okay, cool. So socialism is the new message of the Democratic Party. Got it. Got it. And then we got this one from Newsweek. Headline, now you see the brutality of ICE. Help us abolish it. Hmm, okay. So just to be clear being critical of FBI agents who say they can smell Trump voters in a Walmart and that they'll stop Donald Trump from being president. Now, that's attacking law enforcement. But alleging that 20,000 government employees working within the Department of Homeland Security across 46 countries, that they're engaged in systematic abuse, that's not attacking law enforcement, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. Super clear which by the way is going to lead to some of what I'm going to be addressing coming up next hour because it's not just the media that we got to be concerned about we've known this was coming for a while it's been part of the ongoing conversation since facebook and its newsfeed issues but the bias in technology that's now starting to become dangerous and it's starting to become dangerous with some of the biggest companies in some of the most important ways. So the Abolish ICE movement is one thing when it's a bunch of folks that don't know the difference between Border Patrol and ICE. It's another thing altogether when it's a bunch of programmers as some of the most sophisticated companies in the world that happen to be American companies. So we're going to talk about that coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one.
0: From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
5: John Tester says one thing when he's in Montana, but I will tell you, I'm testament to it. He does the exact opposite when he goes to Washington. A vote for John Tester is a vote for Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi.
2: The president in Montana last night rallying against John Tester. By the way, is there any doubt that the happiest place is always going to be in front of a crowd like that for the president? I mean, he is in his element. The ultimate, like, stand-up. I know he's got a speech and the direction he wants to go and everything else, but, I mean, you know that he just gets out there, he feeds off the energy, he gets excited, that's when we get some of the best sound bites. But uh, it, it's, also, it's also some of, I, I think, the therapeutic need for information that many of us have this day and age. Because we are filled with a society that is garbage in and garbage out. Garbage in and garbage out. A lot of it comes in the media, but a lot of it comes in the form of technology. By the way, I am not in an underground bunker, about seven feet above sea level, in a very vulnerable building, and... uh, I'm in West Palm Beach. I'm Brian Mudd, and it's always an honor and a pleasure to be able to fill in for the great one, Mark Levin. And I do a a morning show, WJNO in in West Palm Beach from 5 until 9. And I do a mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami from 10 until noon. And uh, this is the trifecta once again, as I am uh, able to fill in for the great one. And uh, you can always find my material. It's all over the place. If you search for it, if you go to WJNO.com, if you go to wyd.com if you search for Brian Mudd on iHeartRadio, uh, you will find all kinds of content of mine because I literally start talking about 3:45 in the morning and just keep going. Uh, and it finds its place all over the internet. Uh, so uh, again, you can engage there and it's appreciated as well. Now I talk about garbage in and garbage out. We are well more than two years into the blame it on the algorithm excuse in technology. Now, This has been around longer than the Facebook newsfeed controversy. But remember, going back during the 2016 election cycle, Facebook was the first big one that really became part of the American collective to where Mark Zuckerberg admitted that, hey, um, we did actually take a look at the employees that were making decisions about what was news and what would populate your news feed. And we found out that there was some bias there. So we got an idea. We're going to go to an algorithm, and it's going to be computerized, and in that way we can help take the bias out of it. I mean, sounds good in theory, right? But this is where garbage in equals garbage out comes into play. Because who's programming the algorithm? People, right? And so if you have people that are still biased, and they're programming the algorithms, well, what necessarily have you accomplished? So enter the story, the past couple of days, of the Liberty County Vindicator, South Liberty County newspaper in Texas. They engaged in hate speech. And how they engage in hate speech? Well, they engage in hate speech by posting excerpts of the Declaration of Independence leading up to Independence Day. How dare they? Imagine that. And there it is. The Declaration of Independence being flagged as hate speech by Facebook. Now, Facebook very quickly apologized. They corrected it. They mentioned it was the algorithm. But again, why the algorithm? Who programmed material into the algorithm that would have flagged material in the Declaration of Independence as hate speech? And that is is part of the difficulty of the environment we live in. Now, that is benign in terms of the overall impact. It just once again shows what is possible and what's wrong with a lot of technology today. But it's not dangerous, necessarily. What is dangerous is what's been going on with many other tech companies. Tech companies to where you've had employees at Google, Microsoft and others that have actually uh, been launching campaigns to end government contracts with important agencies like ice. So the abolish ice movement has reached a number of technology companies, including an active movement underway right now with hundreds of Microsoft employees that are threatening to quit. If Microsoft does not end its existing contract with ice, Now, we've already seen some technology companies fold to some of these previously, including Google. But here's what's dangerous. Once again, ICE, according to the Department of Homeland Security, is the second most important agency for national security. 20,000 employees in 46 different countries. Not the Border Patrol, again, for the people who are confused. Okay. Okay. So, abolish ICE. Get rid of those 20,000 people. Get rid of everything that they are doing in the 46 different countries. Get rid of the second most important agency for U.S. national security. Now, the danger with this is, let's say that Microsoft or any of these other companies that have these employees, number one, could they be programming material that could be detrimental as it is to the United States that we don't even know about and we don't know about until we get there? Because, again, we didn't know that the Declaration of Independence would be flagged as hate speech until somebody posted it and caught it, right? So what else is out there that would be flagged as hate speech that really isn't? By Facebook. But again, the benign example. Instead, what could be going on at some of these companies like Microsoft or Google or what have you? But here's the other dangerous thing. Let's say that ultimately you have someone who is successful in abolishing the ICE contract and Microsoft. Now, what's going to happen? The technology, the resources that are provided by Microsoft, an American company, where will our government go? presumably to somebody who is a lesser provider of those services, right? And potentially, at some point, if they're effective enough in the technology realm, couldn't it force the federal government to have to go outside the United States for some of these resources? So then we would have the federal government, important agencies in charge of national security, that are using inferior products that might have the ability To be obtained by foreign entities. Now, does that seem like a good idea? But again, that's what's on the rise right now. It's pretty alarming. And to that end, the Abolish ICE movement is a really good piece by Real Clear Politics a few days ago. Headline, the problem with Abolish ICE. And here's an excerpt. It doesn't seem to matter that the Abolish ICE movement doesn't have an actual proposal for what should replace ICE or even if it should be replaced at all. Abolishing an agency doesn't abolish immigration laws, and some Abolish ICE advocates dance around questions of if and how exactly those laws would be enforced. Here's the deal. End of the excerpt from the story. There are so many similarities with what you've got going on in the resist movement with what has already happened with the Tea Party. And with the, the Tea Party movement, and had a bunch of disenfranchised and underrepresented conservatives. They banded together with a bunch of libertarian-style conservatives, and they created a really powerful political movement, right? And what did we see? We see, saw them take out leadership like Eric Cantor and John Boehner in Congress. It led to record wins in midterm elections. The biggest wins coming in 2010, right? Now, you can actually argue, if you think about it, the Tea Party movement, while 2010 was like the spiking of the football, the success of all successes for the movement, you still admit Romney, who was the Republican Party nominee for president in 2012. You could actually argue that Donald Trump's ascension was the culmination of the Tea Party movement. No, he was not the traditional Tea Party candidate, not by a long shot, but he demolished the Republican Party establishment. So he finished what the Tea Party started. Now, if you take a look at what's going on with the left, there are a bunch, a bunch of similarities. As a socialist, you had Bernie Sanders, who made serious inroads to disrupting the Democrats establishment, right? And who knows if it hadn't been for the shenanigans at the DNC? Well, he might have even pulled out the nomination. But anyway, this year we've already seen some of those similarities. You had Crowley go down in New York. Well, that's like Eric Cantor going down in the primary against a Tea Party candidate. But the difference is, obviously, you got a socialist. And you got to wonder, is Pelosi next? And by the way, when was it that you were actually wondering if Nancy Pelosi going down would be a bad thing? Because she looks conservative compared to the socialist Insurgency on the left. But now we're talking about a movement that's attempting to take down the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. And again, you're talking about an agency of people. And that's what's not discussed here. In all this effort to get Trump and Trump's bad, ICE has been around since 2003. They are not the agency of Donald Trump. The overwhelming majority of employees there were there during the Obama administration. So it's not like they simply turned into these really evil and awful people. Right? So that leads to the next point about the Abolish ICE movement. Again, it's confused with Border Patrol more often than not, which it isn't. And if you want to abolish something, it at least would be helpful if you knew what you're talking about. Because you've got a lot of really smart people at companies like Microsoft that have advanced a protest that doesn't actually add up to the responsibility of the overwhelming majority of ICE agents. That is alarming. And so would be going with the low-cost provider or the alternative to the top American tech companies because you have a bunch of ignorant people that are more interested in politics than doing their damn jobs. Thankfully, Microsoft hasn't caved yet. Hopefully, they don't. But in the meantime, we don't know what we don't know until we get there, just like the Declaration of Independence being flagged as hate speech by Google's and Facebook's algorithm. Isn't that fun? I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin'.
5: president will ever make is the decision to nominate a justice to the United States Supreme Court. Last week, Justice Anthony Kennedy announced his decision to take senior status. I was greatly honored when Justice Kennedy came to the White House to meet with me. America is truly grateful for Justice Kennedy's lifetime of distinguished service. He has given me a great responsibility to choose a worthy successor.
2: All right, so the the truth is, Anthony Kennedy just wanted to get out of Dodge. He's just like a, a bunch of other Americans, and you know he he's had all he can take of Trump, and so he's got to leave. He's got to go. You remember how many folks, especially you know the the Hollywood crowd, said, "Oh Trump, you know if he's elected, oh, we've heard this one before." The unfortunate thing is they never go. Just once, why couldn't they go? But. Remember all those stories in the immediate aftermath of the election? All those stories about folks who were fleeing the United States. I remember there were even some stories about Canada was talking about an influx of Americans that were uh, were heading across the border and and looking to uh, you know establish uh, citizenship in Canada. <sighs> uh, two sides to stories, one side of facts, and once again, the bark has been much louder than the bite. American defections have actually been on the decline since Donald Trump was president. And once again, I decided just to look into this and went where the facts took me. I didn't know what the answer would be, but I was like, you know what? We're halfway through this year, and uh, you know it's kind of a good time to, to see what's going on in, in terms of Americans that have renounced their citizenship. And uh, so I took a look at last year, I took a look at what we we're pacing for the first part of this year, because anytime time you, you get past a quarter, you get new government information. It always trails. So we have the information from 2017. We've got the information from the first quarter of this year. And here we go. If we take a step back to 2016, the last year that one Barack Hussein Obama was president, you had 5,409 Americans. That renounced their citizenship. All right, so just over 5,400 in Obama's last year. So what happened last year? What happened in 2017? What? So the the number's lower. Huh, the number fell to 5,132. Huh, so you actually had 5.1% fewer Americans who renounced their citizenship last year. Shut the front door. How'd that happen? Must have been a mistake. And what, hold on. First quarter 2018. Okay, so in the first quarter of this year, I mean, naturally, there's a huge spike. Oh, what? 1,099 Americans renounced their citizenship. Well, that would only put us on pace for 4,396 this year. That'd be a decline of more than 14% over last year. That'd be a decline of 19% from the last year of the Obama administration. What the heck's going on here? Huh. So once again, not true. And what's been the number one reason cited, whether it was 2016, 2017, or 2018, in terms of those that have renounced their citizenship? Taxes. Taxes. And it makes sense that when they were still being targeted in 2016, you had over 5,400 Americans that decided to renounce their citizenship. It made sense that on the promise of some new tax policy in 2017 that you might have fewer folks that were renouncing. And it makes sense that in the first quarter of 2018, you had dramatically fewer people renounce their citizenship on back of tax reform actually becoming reality. Fascinating. And once again, that story has been everywhere, right? I'm sure it was just a mistake. So a couple other things that come into play. We also know what's going on with taxes. And there's a story that you're not being told either. More than halfway through the year, we're six months into the new Trump tax policy. Well, the economy, you already knew, is in pretty good shape. But there's so much more to that story than you probably knew. And I'm going to bring you a little bit of that coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, filling in for the great one.
0: Love the cure for the common liberal. Talk to Mark now at 877-381-3811. In choosing
5: Justice Kennedy's replacement, my greatest responsibility is to select a justice who will faithfully interpret the Constitution as written. Judges are not supposed to rewrite the law, reinvent the Constitution, or substitute their own opinions for the will of the people expressed through their laws.
2: Oh, where's the fun in that? You know, judicial activism, that's where it's at. I mean, that's been the way the game's been playing the left for how long? I mean, uh, you know, we, we've seen this play out the entire Trump administration. Anytime you, you got something that uh, you want to challenge, you, you go shop it out on the West Coast. You, you make sure that you find justices that you know are, are going to uh, get you what you need. And, and there you go. Which, by the way, the, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, at what point, do you do you have shame enter the equation? I, I guess that's a stupid question because I guess they don't have any shame. If you had nine out of 10 of the decisions that you make, think about your everyday life for a moment. Think about your, your job, your career. And nine out of every 10 decisions that you made, if they were overturned, wouldn't somewhere along the way either you lose your job because that's the real world. Maybe not their world on the Ninth Circuit Court, but y- you might have shame. You might look in the mirror and go, "Man, I don't know that I want to continue to get smacked down like that and do something." But they don't. They don't. You know, again, ideology and politics over country in their particular case in the rule of law. So judicial activism is alive and well. And actually, you know, to the extent that Mitch McConnell which has made many a conservative more frustrated than not. To the extent that we have a lot to be thankful for, it is on the courts. Uh, you, you take a look at a lot of what's been happening behind the scenes, and we have seen a lot of action, again, a lot of uh, Trump's nominations through, including breaking the filibuster to get Neil Gorsuch through. Every indication that'll happen here again with whomever the president nominates come Monday. But the other thing that did get done, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And we're six months in. And now that we're six months in, we can take a a longer look at what it's meaning to us. And as is normal, the whole story is not going to be told to you. This is something that is instructive. First, yes, the average person making the average full-time income is on pace to save $1,800 in taxes this year. With well over 90% benefiting from the tax cuts. Surprisingly, even a lot of folks in higher tax states that weren't believed to be in position to benefit. But then you also take a look at the economic growth rate. We are taking a look at a a second quarter that's ready to come in that should continue the trajectory that we had, which was showing that, well, we we had the lowest unemployment rate in 18 years, the best net increase in net take-home pay in 32 years. So I'll explain. If you take a look at how much more money – You have on back of the tax cuts, but then also the wage increases that the average person is receiving. You have to go back 32 years to find the last year that Americans were doing this well. The average increase in net take-home pay for a full-time employed American over 5% so far. But that's not all the story. So CNBC, they have a a CFO council that they routinely use – to determine what's going on inside of America's companies. Here's the first thing. Well over 70% of all companies have taken action in the first six months of this year. That they would not have taken due to the tax cut in jobs act. Over 70%. Again that would not have been taken. And I decided to focus on just the companies that attributed 100% of their activity to tax reform. In other words, they would not have done this stuff at all had it not been for tax reform. And here's how that money's been used. 20% bonuses, 20% debt reduction, 15% for employee raises, 15% for share buybacks. And by the way, while a lot of people demonize those, first thing is 52% of Americans own stocks. So the average American does benefit from share buybacks anyway. But for the people that's, oh, it's just, you know, the, the, the big wealthy people on uh, Wall Street benefiting, only 15% share buybacks. 10% have upgraded the software in their businesses. 5% have upgraded other equipment. 5% have paid out a dividend or increased a dividend. That's what's real. 35% bonuses and employee raises that would not have happened. Otherwise, without the Tax Cut and Jobs Act already in just the first six months. But that's not all. You then take a look at what's happened with American companies bringing money back into the United States. Because there is a huge story that is playing out there that you haven't been told about either. Among the highlights, if you go back to the first quarter of 2017, $38 billion repatriated back into the United States by American companies. And what happened in the first quarter of 2018? $305 billion. Now, not only is that $267 billion of additional money flowing back into the United States directly attributed to the tax cut and jobs act, but it also generated over $46 billion in additional revenue. Well, shut the front door. So that's pure upside to the economy and to our treasury. And it's also a reminder about the other lie about tax cuts. About the revenue side. So companies were able to have a lower rate to repatriate money. We get $267 billion, but the government generates $46 billion in additional tax revenue it wouldn't have, huh? Which is a reminder of this. The JFK tax cuts. You take a look at the Reagan and JFK tax cuts. The two that are most... Analogous to what we have with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Revenue to the federal government grew by 39% in the five years after the JFK tax cuts. Again, 39% increase in revenue. The Reagan tax cuts. In the five years after they were passed, a 23% increase in revenue to the government. So time and again, We see that there are two sides to stories and one side of facts. And we're already seeing not only the benefit to the economy, not only the benefit to the average American in the workforce, but even an increase in revenue to the government on back of certain aspects of tax reform as well. But then again, history does tend to repeat itself. If only we taught more of it. If only more people are aware, but again, Credit where credit's due. One thing that McConnell and company did manage to deliver on. Let's go to Don in Sonoma. I'm a little bit jealous. My wife and I would love to be able to sample some of the products from around there. I'm sure that you enjoy many a beverage uh, quite frequently.
6: Hi. Hey, Don. So- So I just wanted to call in to say how much I appreciate the president and his wife taking all the flack that they take every single day of their lives since they got into the presidency. Um, The president is a man of his word. He's keeping his promises. It would be nice if we had a different media that would feature some of the truth of how he is keeping his promises, bringing things into existence that all of us have wanted to see. We've all felt that immigration was out of control. we all felt that there were uh, problems with the
2: way the border was. Uh, I'm sorry, Don, we've lost you, but I appreciate you being there. And I want to get to Jim, who's in Detroit, small business owner wants to talk about tax cuts. Uh, Jim go.
6: Hey, um, real quick, I just wanted to, you know, we hear about all these big companies doing all this great stuff and um, because of these tax cuts, we invested in a $250,000 high-tech machine. We're on the news lately because we're the first company in southwestern Detroit to do it, or southwest southeastern Michigan. And we invested a million dollars in our entry-level employees' wages
1: um, That's my incredible. Personal,
6: my personal wages didn't go up, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. That, it, it, it I don't think as small business owners we get the credit. We really want our employees to succeed and and benefit from this stuff.
2: And, and you're saying that it would not have happened. You would not have been able to do all this in your business had it not been for the tax cuts.
6: Absolutely not. I mean, the tax cuts alone, investing in this this new um it's it you know i don't want to get too far into it but it's a high-tech uh therapy machine and uh we wouldn't have done it if it, had, if it wouldn't have been for the new regulations
2: well god bless you and your business appreciate you being there and in for the call as well because again you know two sides to stories one side to facts and it's also one of the difficult things too you know about many of the folks in the media it was fascinating even Uh, You know, with with watching a lot of the economists, you have so many of the economists that are out there. You've got the the lead economists, the 42 lead economists that are often followed by, uh, you know, a lot of the folks in the media. And even for some of the folks in the media that try to get it right, who are they often looking towards? Well, they're looking towards people that have never actually done what? Run a business. You have a lot of people that go directly from the classroom to, well, the, the next classroom. And then eventually, well, now I'm an economist without having to actually ever run anything. I will never forget uh, the peak of my frustration in college many moons ago when I'm sitting there being lectured to about business from a professor that clearly didn't understand the first thing about it. Uh, And that is one of the challenges we have. Out of the 42 leading economists, you know that exactly one of them got the benefit of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act right for the first six months of the year? That's something else I was taking a look at. What were the economic projections? What would the impact be? Out of the 42 leading economists, one. One. So occasionally, it would be helpful if some of these people actually had some real-world experience, actually knew how businesses run, how regulations impact them, how tax policy impacts them. But, uh, hey, you know. Uh, And let's go to James in Texas. James, go. Hey,
3: you know, I try to stomach as much as I possibly can of the liberal media and the mainstream media just to try to strike a balance between what's being said out there. But one of the things that I keep hearing different people say that I cannot, for the life of me, figure it out, I can't find it, they say Trump lied, or he is lying. What's he lying about? I have no idea. I can't figure it out. Can you help me with that?
2: (laughs) Well, and one of the things I will always ask is, okay, well, let's talk about a specific issue. You know, because one of the things you'll hear is, uh, you know, a lot of conflating. Oh, you know, the, to your point, oh, you know, lies about, uh, you know, taxes or, or lies about uh, immigration. or Okay, how? Give me a specific. I'll have people that often will throw that back to me as well. You know, people will, will say, oh, you know, you said that. Well, no, I actually didn't say that. Uh, if you want to talk about specific issues rather than generalities, that's okay. And part of it, uh, once again, is simply a matter of what media you buy into and again with 91 percent of the mainstream media providing negative coverage of president trump 91 percent unprecedented even george w bush didn't have negative coverage like this you're bound if you're the average person that isn't going out of your way to be informed to be misinformed somewhere along the way because unless 91% of what's happening in this country is negative, then they are off base. And, of course, fake news is, unfortunately, a reality that comes about way too often. And uh, we're going to come back and, and wrap it up. Uh, and we've got some really great material coming up in just about 13 minutes uh, on the East Coast. Eastern Time, you're going to have Life, Liberty, and Levin, Fox News Channel, It is the uh, Encore presentation with Sean Hannity from this past Sunday. If you missed it, you absolutely need to catch it. Life, Liberty, and Levin. Again, 9 o'clock Eastern uh, tonight. Just in a bit here. Uh, Mark Levin's interview with Hannity, which was great, great stuff. Uh, I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mark Levin.
5: worse isn't that worse than not standing you know i think that's worse so they say go into the locker room it's okay the anthem's getting ready to play they run into the locker room then they come back out you
2: know what That doesn't play doesn't play boo by the way you know what's fascinating yeah the president he he called the nfl protesting players bluff right he ended up saying, hey, you know, you've got some folks that are legitimately victims of the criminal justice system. Bring me names. You saw what I did with Kim Kardashian. Bring me names. Bring me people. I will listen. And if it's legitimate, I'll take care of it. Now, how many players have reached out on behalf of victims? Um, hmm. Yeah, we're, we're still at zero. Now. If they were really concerned about specific situations and it wasn't just a bunch of political bullcrap, don't you think for those individuals that they would care enough about them to advance their cause? The closest we've got gotten from certain players, oh, it's just the whole system. So, you know, you can't just say it's one person, the whole thing. You got to you got to scrap the whole thing. and It's got to be a oh, bullcrap. Shut up. If. You actually had people that you knew that were legitimate victims, and you could set the record straight. You could set them free. You wouldn't do it? That's a cop-out. So once again, he called him on it. And once again, the president is winning. I don't think he's tired of winning yet, but he's winning. And the question of political correctness, Fox News, some of the contextual polling recently, By a margin of 68 to 19%, Americans think that political correctness has gone too far. And also in that same polling, the NFL's favorability rating. You ready for this? Below President Trump's. The NFL's current favorability level is 42%. Down from 46% this time last year. Down from 64% prior to the player protest. And that's 3% lower approval for the NFL than President Trump right now. And I'm also guessing you haven't heard that one anywhere else either. And by the way, NFL's ratings over the past two years have declined by 20%. That almost lines up with the 22% decline in NFL favorability rating. Only in the NFL could you have a 20% defection in viewership And it not be a crisis. Any other business, the house would be on fire. But in the NFL, eh, you could go in the tunnel. All I know, and I remember saying this quite a bit last year about this time, if we're talking about politics rather than football, the NFL is going to have problems. And I know this much to be true again. If we're still talking about politics rather than football, the NFL is in trouble this year too. Two sides to stories, one side to facts. By the way, coming up here in a few minutes, Fox News Channel, Life, Liberty, and Levin, Hannity and Levin. Hannity's been waiting for this interview his entire life. (laughs) You get that sense. Great show and a great time. And I've had a great time. Brian Mudd, filling in for the great one, Mark Levin.